on the street outside, Rivington and Bowery was a big pickup place. The junkies for five blocks going east. Howard was coming to visit. He said, John, I scored for William. And they shot up together. I mean, Howard at that point had to be HIV positive. But William, having seniority, shot up first. William shot up many times. People came and visited. and uh, But he always got got the first shot so that he never got AIDS. I thought that was pretty great. I mean, <laughs> everyone died, you know, it's at least sadly so. There's always a question with someone uh, who has the glamour image that, say, Burroughs had, or Keith Richards has, or Lou Reed has, with that scene to kind of glamorize uh, using heroin. Uh, it seems like a very cool sort of thing, you know. Uh, but if you read everything William wrote about heroin, it was to warn people to not take it. And he was using it as, as a sort of image or symbol of control, that this, this is the ultimate control, is a, you have to buy the product or else you're sick. I'm doing this press conference with Bill. I said, Bill, you know, I had this migraine last night, man. I came by these pills in my medicine cabinet, two Percodans, and his, his eyes went, what? I said, well, what are they? And he said, what do you mean, what are they? I said, well, what is Percodan? And he put his face about an inch from mine and said, it's junk, and walked away. And I sat there with my metaphorical ass banked and immediately saw the distinction between this actor who was acting Bill Lee and his addiction. Good evening. Welcome to the Dr. Zeus film podcast, or as William S. Burroughs said, I bring you not peace. William Seward Burroughs, born today in 1914. He was a beat icon, even though he didn't like that label. There's a lot of things that William S. Burroughs didn't like. If you've ever read Naked Lunch, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever read Junkie or Cities of the Red Knight, which basically predates AIDS, William S. Burroughs was on the pulse. He was born February 5th, 1914 in St. Louis, Missouri, and died on August 2nd, 1997 in Lawrence, Kansas at the age of 83. Today, he would be, oh, geez, how old, how old would he be? Well, I was never good at math. (laughs) I know you're probably thinking simple. He'd be 108 years old. He was a self-proclaimed junkie, but he would always tell people it's not about glamorizing it. And he was right. I don't want to make him sound out like he's Catherine Hepburn. Oh, it's about shake and make. William S. Burroughs created this form of cut-ups. 
He was a he was in film. He was an actor. He was an artist. He was in a lot of ministry videos. Here is William S. Burroughs in Drugstore Cowboy with none none other than Matt Dillon. Oh, directed by Gus Van Sant, and I believe William was was still using, especially on screen. You know, Tom, you told me a lot of the old time stories about. Him. I used to stick your arm in between the bars of the cell. The guard would come by and he'd fire you up a shot of morphine. Well, they never did that for me. Well, they don't do that for anyone anymore. Narcotics have been systematically scapegoated and demonized. The idea that anyone can use drugs and escape a horrible fate is anathema to these idiots. I predict in the near future, right-wingers will use drug hysteria as a pretext to set up an international police apparatus. An old man to see a final solution of the drug problem. <clears throat> you know what, Tom? You might have missed your calling. You should have been a philosopher. Well, Bob, in another life, perhaps. <clears throat> in another life. He was the only Harvard student that had ferrets as pets. But I, I couldn't imagine having such thing. But there was Bill and there was a ferret. I didn't feel at all comfortable with Bill. My first thought was, man, this guy's got to be heat. William is like never sees anybody, never goes out, hates parties, and, and lives completely enclosed, enclosed life, you know? William would make a great prisoner, you know? I mean, in solitary. He bewilders uh, me just a little bit, even now. There's no one more. He's up there with the Pope, you know. They, they, they can't revere him enough. You know, he's one of the greatest minds of our times, you know. You wouldn't know shit about Burroughs unless you knew him for a long time and through various crises to see how he responded, how he acted. Well, Kerouac said that Burroughs was the most intelligent man in America. I've probably repeated that a million times. He's a hard guy to get into bed. That's why I like him, I think. I was born February 5, 1914, in St. Louis, Missouri. As a young child, uh, I wanted to be a writer, and I wrote descriptions of corn dances in New Mexico that were much praised by my English teachers. But um, it was many years before I came back to any, even any attempts to write. I thought that they, that very glamorous lives, living in Tangiers and smoking hashish and sniffing cocaine in Mayfair. It uh, stuck into a very glamorous and easy and pleasant life. Little did I know. That is a clip from, and Jason Elmy will know this because it's the Criterion Collection, Howard Brokner's Burroughs, the movie. It has everyone from Herbert Hunkel, John Gen- Genorio, uh, Patty Smith, 
Allen Ginsberg offering their musings on William S. Burroughs, who they called very fondly and lovingly Bill. Now, William S. Burroughs was also a father figure to Mr. Al Jorgensen, which he mentions in the book, uh, of ministry. If you don't know who ministry is, well, then... uh, There would be no Nine Inch Nails. There would be no industrial scene without ministry and Skinny Puppy. Want me to load this thing? talking to you, I'm having fun. To me, it's like having a casual drink, having a beer, doing some shade, having a beer, having a cocktail. Like in all the movies and all that stuff, it's a beer, right? But because of laws, this, scrap the letter S, this means I have problems, this means I rape, pillage, steal, I'm deep-rooted, fucked up. But to go have a social drink, it's accepted. What's the difference? Not a fucking thing, really. If you have father figures like Tim Leary or William Burroughs, there's going to be bumps in the road. Bring on Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Bring on Eastwood. I'm ready. Yeah. On a little bit high. Leary, of all people, considered so much of a godfather of turn on, tune in, drop out drug culture. Just what are we going to do about Al? This was Leary talking. He has so much potential. He's such an interesting guy, and he's just killing himself. I feel more akin to, as a father, as a son, to Timothy Leary than I do my own father. I learned more from him in three, four... Finally, our... So that was Al Jorgensen. He talks about when... So ministry was originally a techno band. And then in 1988... They came out with The Land of Rape and Honey. And Al Jorgensen talked about applying William S. Burroughs' cut-up method, which William S. Burroughs would take words and just cut up. And and very in detail talked about the technique. This is William S. Burroughs on cut-ups. Recorders, but on paper. In 1959, Brian Geisen said that writing is 50 years behind painting and applied the montage technique to words on a page. And this technique had already been used in painting at that time for 50 years. It was, in fact, kind of old hat in painting. Brian copied out phrases from newspapers and magazines, then took a scissors and cut these selections into pieces and rearranged the fragments at random. And these cut-up experiments appeared in Minutes to Go in 1959. Uh, When you experiment with cut-ups over a period of time, you find that some of the cut-ups and rearranged texts seem to refer to future events. I cut up an article on, uh, written by John Paul Getty, and God, it's a bad thing to sue your own father. This was a rearrangement and wasn't in the original text. And a year later, one of his sons did sue him. Uh, we had no explanation for this at the time and just uh, suggesting the press when you cut into the present, the future leaks out. 
But we simply accepted it and continued the experiments. The next step was cut-ups on the tape recorder, and Brian was the first to take this obvious step. Now, here are some tapes which Brian made with all the technical facilities of the BBC in London, and they show, I think, what can be done with a human voice and one phrase. All active... Calling, calling all reactive agents. Calling all active agents. Re. Calling all active agents. Calling all agents. Reactive. Calling all reagents. Active. All agents. Active. Re. Calling all agents. Reactive. Calling all active agents. Well, people sometimes ask me if I have any words of advice for young people. And here are a few simple admonitions. Never interfere in a boy and girl fight. <clears throat> Beware of whores who say they don't want money. In the long run, these are the most expensive whores what can be got. If you're doing business with a religious son of a bitch, get it in writing. Because his word isn't worth shit, not with the good Lord telling him how to fuck you on the deal. If, after having been exposed to someone's presence, you feel as if you've lost a quart of plasma, avoid that presence. You need it like you need pernicious anemia. We don't like to hear the word vampire here trying to improve our PR. Interdependence is the key word. Enlightened interdependence. Life in all its rich variety. Take a little, leave a little. However, by the inexorable logistics of the vampiric process, they always take more than they leave. Avoid fuck-ups. Fools, I call them. You all know the type. Everything they have anything to do with turns into a disaster, no, how, no matter how good it may sound. Yeah. Trouble for themselves and everyone connected with them. A boo is bad news and it rubs off. Don't let it rub off on you. Do not prefer sympathy to the mentally ill. It's a bottomless pit. <laughs> Tell them firmly, I'm not paid to listen to this drill. You are eternal food. And avoid confirmed criminals. They are a special malignant strain of food. <laughs> and that's William Burroughs' advice to young people. I want to flash forward to a couple of weeks before he died in 1997. He was in U2's Last Night on Earth video. This was during U2's pop phase. But I love the message that he, he does. Okay, William, go for the sword, man. I bring not peace, but a sword. 
William S. Burroughs was known as the exterminator. And when you're known as the exterminator, not the terminator, yeah. (laughs) He was known as William Lee. That was his pen name, briefly. He created and exhibited thousands of paintings and other visual artworks, including his celebrated shotgun art, where he, yes, used a shotgun. Burroughs was born into a wealthy family in St. Louis, Missouri. He was a grandson of inventor William Seward Burroughs I, who founded the Burroughs Corporation, and a nephew of public relations manager Ivy Lee. Burroughs attended Harvard University, studied English, studied anthropology as a postgraduate, and attended medical school in Vienna. In 1942, Burroughs enlisted in the U.S. Army to serve during World War II. After being turned down by the Office of Strategic Services and the Navy, he developed the heroin addiction that affected him for the rest of his life. In 1943, while living in New York City, he befriended Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac. Their mutual influence became the foundation of the Beat Generation, which was later a defining influence on the 1960s counterculture. Now, yes, William was married to a woman, but was very... Uh, he made no bones about it that he was queer. He Back then, he didn't say the term gay. He was queer. He even wrote a book called Queer. Oh, my goodness. And I wanted to dive into that because, you know, <laughs> everyone's all into... Uh, and and he did shoot his wife. He shoot. I, well, he was high. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. But in terms of labels, we live in this world of labels. And William S. Burroughs refused that label. Now he was good friends with Patty Smith. Patty Smith loved William S. Burroughs. She had a crush on him. How could you not, though? If someone is charismatic, sometimes it's not about the look. It's about the charisma. I don't think a lot of people understand that, even now. But for now, it's about the look. It's about the status. But there are people where it's about the charisma. There is something about them that draws you to them. And William S. Burroughs was really good at that. Through his writing through his dialogue, through his actions. He made no apologies for who he was. And he lived his life, and he died on his own terms. And he died of heart failure in 1997. He, I think he had lived in New York for a little while, or not a little while, for decades. And then he, because you know, everything started to go up in price, and he left. He he. He moved back to he to Kansas. He just he couldn't take it anymore. And I don't blame him. And that is the unfortunate thing is these big cities like San Francisco and New York and even Oakland, the artists and the writers are being forced out by these tech companies. Because it used to be, you used to be able to just say an artist in resident lives here. You used to be able to say that back in the day. And I'm looking for, oh, there's John Waters. John Waters, oh, here we go. I wanted John Waters' take on Burroughs, if we can find it. 
I think probably Freud would think him to be uh, deeply, deeply troubled, profoundly mentally ill. Everybody was enamored by William because he was famous before anybody else. And he was also famous for all the wrong things. He was the first person that was famous for things you were supposed to hide. He was gay. He was a junkie. He didn't look handsome. He shot his wife. He wrote poetry about assholes and heroin. Uh, he, it was not easy to like. Class was an essential factor in the work and life. William came from a very traditional upper crust American family, though the fortune may have been lost, the breeding was deep and instilled, and and thus the gentleman we know was bred. I could totally relate to the dry thing that salesman thing that he'd created, you know, and this very underplayed thing, just very, very removed, very removed also very very interested in death and i think that's what scared americans more than his writing itself if he'd had that worldview and he was writing in a more polite way and it didn't have to do with guns and junk usually the most radical work tends to come from the upper classes because they're trying so hard to shock so hard to get away from their roots so he's a, a fascinating character uniquely american in that regard i i don't think that work could have existed had he not been breaking away from an incredibly patrician Midwestern background. There was no rebellion in those days. No, certainly not in Astra. Or very little that I saw. That and so that's a clip from the 2010 documentary William S. Burroughs, A Man Within, directed by Yong Lizer. It's everyone is in it. John Waters, Patti Smith, Iggy Pop, and archival footage of Andy Warhol and Allen Ginsberg. A lot of these people who are gone. But I wanted to get... It, there's a lot of magic to William S. Burroughs. If you've ever studied the occult, okay, he was writing about it. This is the 1950s, the 1960s. This is, oh, we don't, we don't write about that kind of shit. And here comes this man. Yeah, he was he was from the upper crust. When you come from a background of affluence, you are saying, look, this is what I've learned and I'm going to bring it to the masses and I'm going to fuck it up and I'm going to add some, schm not schmaltz, but I'm going to add some gravy to this shit. I'm hungry, so. Um, and, and breaking away. But I what I'm looking for there, there's a really, you know, there's a really great bevy of uh, talking heads in. I love documentaries. I love documentaries because what they do is they they give you a window inside an artist. Oh, here we go. Here's Patty Smith that you wouldn't usually immerse yourself into. doing something or other sexually to get money. And William always seemed to prefer young hustlers because there was no need for an emotional attachment. There was no danger of being embroiled beyond a controllable point. 
So I think that that was one of the reasons that he 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 began to almost exclusively look for sexual pleasure amongst professional young hustlers. The, there was too much fear of pain to go into a relationship, a form of of love. Um, you talk about keeping yourself open, being able to see. Is it something that you keep at bay, this idea of possession? Is it something you don't want to have happen? Oh, yes. Uh, well, generally speaking, yes. Well, there's a, there's a, a um, difficult question there. That is, you laying yourself open to experience, and that's the only one that you can experience, but also uh, there's a danger of uh, laying yourself open to something that is very injurious. How do you know that? You don't. That's just it. You don't. It's like the uh, um, when you let your immunity down there and you get AIDS. That has always been a problem of being receptive, but at the same time uh, able to defend yourself against injurious attacks and influences because they're, they're, they're sure to be there. It's like disease organism. William had a very uneasy relationship with women in the sense that there weren't too many, many women around. But uh, I felt that I had a very nice relationship with him. And uh, maybe it was because we really weren't gender identified when we were together. Uh, we traded recipes. But I would say that in that world, Particularly if you're, you know, at the bunker and you're going into the bathroom and you're looking at Keith Haring's uh, drawing of the penis. It's not the world that you would expect. I had the biggest crush on William. Really a big one. And uh, I used to even daydream about, you know, he would fall in love with me and we would get married. I mean, I had a huge crush on William, so, and he knew it too, and it... It, it didn't bother him at all. When the two of us were alone, he'd say, well, my dear, it's the end of the night. Let's hear a little Bobby Shafto. And, and I would sing him the little song. Bobby Shafto's gone to sea, silver buckles on his knee. One fine day he'll marry me. Pretty Bobby Chateau. Uh, there was another one. Oh, dear, what can the matter be? Dear, dear, what can the matter be? Oh, dear, what can the matter be? Johnny so long at the fair. And he encouraged me to sing before I sang publicly. That was Patty Smith. Now, Patty Smith... Yeah, she had a big crush on William S. Burroughs. And she said how one time in her documentary, he said, my dear, I'm a homosexual. But she said that didn't bother her because she still had that crush on him. And it, and it wasn't like he was turning her away. He was just saying, look, these are the facts, sweetie. Um, oh, I, this is what I wanted to get to. Woo! The only newspaper columnist Burroughs admired was Westbrook Pelger, a right-wing opinion shaper for the William Randolph Hearst newspaper chain. Burroughs believed in the frontier inv 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 
individualism, which he championed as our glorious frontier heritage on minding your own business. Burroughs came to the uh, equate liberalism with bureaucratic tyranny, viewing government authority as a collective of middlesome focused legislating the curtailing of personal freedom. According to his biographer, Ted Morgan, his philosophy for living one's life was to adhere to a laissez-faire path, one without encumbrances. In essence, a credo shared with the capitalist business world. He didn't, yeah, he didn't trust the government um, from his, okay, in 1949, he enrolled in the Mexico City College under the GI Bill, which paid for Part of his tuition and books provided him with a $75 per month stipend. He maintained, I always say, keep your snout in the public trough. Burroughs was a gun enthusiast. Oh, yeah. Shotgun art. And owned several shotguns, a Colt 45, a 38 Special. Sonic Youth vocalist Thurston Moore recounted meeting Burroughs. He had a number of guns and ammo magazines lying around, and he was only interest, very interested in talking about shooting and knifing. I asked him if he had a Beretta, and he said, uh, that's a lady's pocket knife purse gun. I like guns and shoot and knives that cut. Hunter S. Thompson gave him a one-of-a-kind four, 454 caliber pistol. He was also a staunch supporter of the Second Amendment. Okay, and he's a beat poet. Despite being a fan of right-wing columnists, many in his entourage, such as Genesis P. O'Reilly and Al Jorgensen, are notable for far-left, anti-capitalist, and anti-fascist politics. He was also a fan of the left-wing Dadaist movement. His overall views can generally be seen as constrained and syncretic, combining left-wing and right-wing ideologies. See, he, it was like Burger King. You can have it your way. <laughs> Burroughs had a long-standing preoccupation with magic and the occult, dating from his earliest childhood and the instant throughout his life that we live in a magical universe, as he himself explained. In the magic universe, there are no consequences and there are no accidents. Nothing happens unless someone wills it to happen. The dogma of science is that will cannot possibly affect external forces and I think that is just ridiculous it's as bad as the church my viewpoint is the exact contrary of the scientific viewpoint I believe that if you run into somebody in the street it's for a reason among primitive people they say that if someone was bitten by a snake he was murdered I believe that we're speaking in the 1970s since the word magic tends to cause confused thinking, I would like to say exactly what I mean by magic and the magical interpretation of so-called reality. The underlining assumption of magic is the assertion of the will as a primary moving force in this universe. The deep conviction that nothing happens unless somebody or some being wills it to happen. To me, this has always been some seemed self-evident from the viewpoint of magic no death no illness no misfortune accident or war or riot is accidental there are no accidents in the world of magic this was no idle passing interest burroughs also actively practiced magic in his everyday life seeking out mystical visions through practices like scrying taking measures to protect himself from possession and attempting to lay curses on those who had crossed him. Burroughs spoke openly about his magical practices and the engagement with the occult 
it attested from a multitude of interviews as well as personal accounts from those who knew him. Yep. That's William S. Burroughs. You, uh, many different contradictions, many different I mean he was he was just interesting. He is part of this era that predated hippies. And it's mentioned in the 1999 documentary, The Source, you know, Burroughs and Ginsburg are posthumously featured in this. And in fact, um, what they did is they would have actors read these passages from Burroughs, from Ginsburg. You know, like Hal and 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 Ferlinghetti is in there as well. And I wanted to find that if I can, if I can't, you know. Oh, this is interesting. You know, he was in movies, the documentaries. I think the documentaries about him are really fascinating. Really interesting, but I wanted to find the source. Oh, here we go. And what they have is the you know, they have John Totoro reading, I believe, Ginsburg, and then they have <laughs> oh, yeah, um, Easy Rider himself. Dennis Hopper reading the Burroughs. That's pretty cool to have Dennis Hopper reading William S. Burroughs' dialogue. Uh, when you walk down the street, you're continually being caught by random factors. This is a fact of human perception, and the cut-up simply made this explicit. How does it seem to you now? How does it seem to you now? Thank you. Good. Look at that. Thank you. Surrealism is uh, a kind of automatic writing. Rambo's phrase was a systematic derangement of the senses, and the idea being that the senses are, to some extent, ideological, formed by external pressure. Towers, open fire! And so you shatter that, break it up, drugs, extreme experiences, uh, kinky sex. In fact, the official definition of surrealism is to make a work without any a priori moral or aesthetic considerations. The last of trumpets, the man wriggles. His flesh turns to viscous, transparent jelly that drifts away in green mist, unveiling a monster black centipede. Waves of unknown stench fill the room, searing the lungs, grabbing the stomach. Over a series of years, from 53 to 57, Burroughs sent me the letters with all these, the chapters or routines of Naked Lunch. And then by 57, there was so much material that I had and he had that it was time for me to leave San Francisco and uh, work on it with him to shape it into a book. Carrick started the typing. We arrived with all this new material, shuffled it around, typed it up. We had about 500 pages of notes. 
So Brian Garson, Sinclair Bayless, uh, I sat down and assembled this. The chapter went to the printer. We said we would we'll figure out the order later. But when I came back from the printer, we took one look and said there's no necessity to make any changes. Burroughs said, I'm not American Express. If the readers ask to take it from Tangier to, to Paris in one jump, uh, you'll have to get there himself. You want to be cool, you got to read, you know, make it lunch, you know, because, you know, that's a cool book. They made a movie out of it. They put it on trial. It's about drugs. There's certain requirements. Uh, if someone can't stand hours, years of solitude, sitting in a chair alone in a room, he should look for another trade, I think. I tried to read Naked Lunch. I read halfway through it, and I pitched it. It didn't make much sense to me. It just sort of disgusts me. Thou shalt not be such a shit you don't know you are one. Mr. Burroughs, do you regret anything in your life? I have no precise memory of writing the notes which have been published under the title Naked Lunch. The title was suggested by Jack Kerouac. The title means exactly what the words say, Naked Lunch, a frozen moment when everyone sees what is on the end of every fork. I can feel the heat closing in. I feel them out there making their moves, setting up their devil doll stool pigeons crooning over my spoon and dropper I throw away at Washington Square Station. Fall to turnstile, two flights down the iron stairs, catch an uptown A train. Young, good-looking, crew-cut, Ivy League advertising type. So I want to pull away because there's music playing underneath. Sonic Youth's, uh, uh, what's that one song? <laughs> um, cool thing. And also the Rolling Stones was playing underneath earlier. So that's from The Source, from 1999. And I think that's when I caught wind of Burroughs. Burroughs was long gone. He had already died. And The Source, directed by Chuck Workman, and the film is about the beat generation and its impact on the counterculture movements from the 1970s and 60s onward. and features appearances by Johnny Depp, Dennis Hopper, and John Turturro. And so that's where I want to end tonight's program. Wherever William S. Burroughs is, shit. If I was, if I had met him when I was like 21 or something, oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, it's not about the attraction. It's about the chemistry, the authenticity. I don't stress that enough. So I can, I can see why people flock to him. Totally. The guns, not so much for me. But at least you're protected when you're with Burroughs, whether he's having a moment or not. But, and those, you know, those novels, Naked Lunch and Queer and Junkie. And so what he really did is he created his own society, if you think about it, in literature, in music. I mean, he's in music videos. He's, there is an album that he did where Kurt Cobain is playing guitar in the background and it's Burroughs reciting poetry. So that's why him and Patti Smith had such a great 
chemistry together in great relationship as friends, as muses. She wrote the song, Land, Thousand Dances, where she says Johnny wanted to move, but the movie kept moving. And she dedicated that to his story of Johnny and the Wild Boys. Even the term, you know, the band Steely Dan, that is from the William S. Burroughs lexicon. Steely Dan is actually a dildo. <laughs> Probably didn't think you would ever learn that from this podcast. But those are the two films that you could check out. Burroughs, the movie, it's available on Criterion. It's available physically and digitally. And then William S. Burroughs, A Man Within from ne- in 2010. So that's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Wherever William S. Burroughs is. Hey. It's about naked lunch. As always, unpleasant dreams.